We're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar, and Oscar Race Checkpoint. It's been a little bit since uh, you and I have collaborated on one of these. I am your co-host, Mike One, and I'm talking to dear co-host, also Mike. So this is a much-needed Oscar Race Checkpoint for a lot of reasons. We got some actual nominations, Mike, for the Gotham's, yeah. for the Critics' Choice Documentary I can't Awards. I this year is almost over already. Yeah, it's it's coming it's coming fast, and uh, that's exciting. And there's a lot of cool films nominated there. Uh, and then uh, I think we're wet blankets for part of this episode as well because we're in the minority on some films where we shock. just don't like them, and we're not gonna lie to you about it. We're not gonna cut corners or or, or stand in the middle of the uh, road on these movies. I just I'm glad in a sense, Michael. A lot of people are having fun at the movies, number one. And I'm glad that a lot of people like movies out there. That's a great sign. However, that doesn't mean we have to like them all, right? Yeah, we uh, we have a pretty firmly established track record here of zagging when a lot of the people zig on We're some, zaggers, of these, uh, yeah. Yeah, some of these big titles. And this will be no different as uh, we go around the Hollywoods. And let's start off with a Make the Case segment where we're going to do some kind of quicker reviews. Uh, one of these, I don't know that it's going to be a huge shock uh, in the way we've kind of... If you've listened to us for a while, we were very tempered on our review or or anticipation of Dune. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, expectation came to fruition when certainly I watched it. And I think you kind of feel the same. Uh, This two and a half hour plus star Wars ripoff. Now look, (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be a hundred percent honest here, which I genuinely don't think enough critics or pundits do. So first off credit to me for being better than them. <laughs> and double credit to me for finding a way to give myself credit despite half-assing something. But anyway, okay, <laughs> I was not at my best when watching Dune, and I, I just I, I was in a bad mood. I wasn't in the mood to sit through an epic sci-fi fantasy saga. You had a dental I, procedure, yeah. I had a yeah an oral procedure earlier in the day. I just had a bad day leading up to it, so I wasn't I wasn't excited for Dune. I just I, I wasn't you know I wasn't amped up for it like a lot of people were so i think rather than completely tear this movie apart as a way to cover for my not being a hundred percent in on it when watching it i'm only going to somewhat tear this movie apart as a cover for my somewhat paying attention to it going forward (laughs) this this was star wars correct there's a lot of similarities to star wars (laughs) but that's not just star wars a lot of movies are star wars and and star wars was a lot of movies before it became Star Wars. We've, we've, we've established this. Yeah. I mean, Dune, what you're getting with Dune is, I think, at least as far as my expectations go, exactly what I expected. It's an epic sci-fi drama that looks beautiful. It's going to be nominated, I would think, in at least three categories. Yeah. But it's just... I, I was bored for the most. It looks gorgeous, it looks absolutely stunning, even on the TV, if you watch it on HBO Max like I did. 
But I, I, I was not invested in the characters. I, I, I just didn't find myself caring about what was going on. And a lot of the stuff that happened felt just nonsensical. Yeah. I watched this in the movie theater. I watched at the festival. And I watched this at home. And I, I will say, I think you're in the worst possible scenario for watching this movie at home, <laughs> you know, high on painkillers because you went to the dentist, right? right. ornery, just aggravate. Like, you are a crotchety man just in mm-hmm. general. Correct. So you're, like, extra crotchety, and you're in the least <laughs> – I mean, you're in the, the, they're in the worst spot to just watch a sci-fi epic. That is – let's just be honest. Like, this is a, a very – specific taste dune as a sci-fi fantasy movie i would say and i think it's much more specific in terms of taste than we think i think a lot of people love this book series and good for them love the book series i'm not one of them i i Mm. read the book i tried i tried multiple times and failed i came back to it my whole festival season i listened to the book and i still i can't get into it i had i had trouble like there is just mythology here that i can't buy into and it doesn't help that we don't get a full narrative with this movie like this I reviewed it with Andrew two weeks ago or a week ago this movie stops right in the middle Mike how did you feel like I mean we don't have to spoil anything it's just it literally stopped it's the middle of a five hour movie yeah I mean which is not anything we haven't dealt with before you know I mean Kill Bill comes to mind it's kind of the same thing and this one clearly was was made just as a a start to a part two, which is, you know, I, I don't, I'm not offended by that. I was just, I was more so let down by how tropey it was. Like every big budget, I tweeted this too, and it got a good response, which I was happy with. I was expecting to have to fight some people, but every big budget sci-fi movie to me, they get, they, they're the same. It, it's a guy yelling at people who were all dressed identically <laughs> And there's a big battle sequence, something involving lasers. I guess you could replace lasers in this one with sand and some kind of big monster that has layers of teeth within them. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I, just, I come back to it, though. I, I don't like the fact that we get the big battle sequence kind of early and then we get like this small level, you know, thing later. And I, I just I got mad at the Dark Knight for doing this, for Christ's sake. It's just me. I I. I love a movie when they save the best for last, or I love a movie when the the biggest showdown, you know, between the two characters that you're invested in feels like a bigger battle than the mid movie, you know, spend a hundred million dollars on it. Could be scene. something to it too. I mean, I was I knew what I was where this was headed because of you and others online. Whereas I, I mean, but you read the book you said beforehand anyway, so you didn't think this was going to end in the way it did anyway. I kind of guessed that they would go this way, yeah. but I, you know you can't help it. But like Kill Bill, for instance, the showdown between Ishii and the Bride is better than the Crazy 88s yeah. and the Bride. Like I just I get frustrated when you know they undercut themselves, especially with the prophecy and the mythology stuff and what he's seeing in his brain, and it's just very frustrating. Uh, in that regard. So I'm not with it there. I'm just not. Now, like you said, I think the highs are obvious. And I, I even projected five nominees minimum with Andrew last week. Wouldn't but surprise I, me. Yeah. So I think I, rewatching this, I just want like the car and plane show. Don't you? Like I want to I wanna go 
to Arrakis and see all the copters <laughs> and the weaponry, and I want the auto show on the you know and, and the dragonfly paint. The dragonfly plane is really really cool, but it serves absolutely no purpose. The dragon flopters, yeah, no, just <laughs> yeah. use regular helicopters. But right. no, it's very cool. I I love that. I love right. the ships. I love the. Uh, I mean, this movie should have just been ships docking, and I'm perfectly happy. <laughs> Two, uh, two and a half hours of ships docking. Like, if this was 2001, A Space Odyssey, but Dune, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, there's, you, they try to have, like, a, a Capulet and Montague type thing. They try to have a Force type thing. And I know people are going to yell at me for referencing Star Wars so much because it is its own stand. I, I can't. It's like, what if Star Wars but with Tremors is my the vibe I kept getting from this over and over again. And, yeah. I mean, there's, like, there's a time... I will say I'm surprised how much I bought Chalamet as an action hero and how much I bought him being, you know, the one, the, this world's version of the one. Well, I, I thought he did a good enough job. I think they're going to take the piss out of the whole prophecy storyline in a way. It's going to be it's fairly innovative how they're working that through. Like he is the one, but he isn't, and we know. Well, one he isn't. of the things when one of the people is like, "Oh, you must be the one because you tucked your pants into your boots." Like, that's a little... Mu- Who told you to wear your boots that way? Right. You must it's be special. Religious zealotry grasping at straws, which is what it is. And I'm glad for that. And I think... And that's working for me. Ultimately, this is going to have to be like a guerrilla rebellion. We know that yeah. uh, going in. So that's cool. I think I think there's uh, like some new school battle tactics that are, that are awesome uh, that I really appreciated with the sci-fi, the science fiction that worked. And that's why, like, the military sci-fi I thought was a strength, and you got, you know, figureheads like Jason Momoa carrying that. And you got Batista promised for for the next movie carrying that. So that's cool. I want to take a mud bath with a scars guard. <laughs> that's what I got out of this movie. <laughs> they that are, guy, uh, I they mean, have so, their powers, the mud baths. some ridiculous shit. There's a scene where a scars guard is completely under a mud bath and his second in command is talking to him and he raises himself out of the mud bath answering the question that you can't hear shit. What are right. you talking about? <laughs> no, some of the sci-fi makes no sense. Like why have shields if they're slowly penetrable? <laughs> All the shields. Yes. Like, if what? slowness penetrates them. There's a there's a scene where it's like you you must promise me you'll protect this person with all your life, and then the very next scene, that person meets their demise. It's like, come on, man. So, it's just so on the nose. Like, look, I, and I'm talking. It's a B minus movie for me. It looks absolutely stunning and gorgeous. I couldn't care less about the story. Maybe that's a me problem. I'm sure it is. This movie's being received very well, and I still think it's going to be nominated for Oscars, just like you do at the end of the day. Multiple Oscars. Yeah. So, I, but I, I think my problem is again expectations. This was exactly what I both expected and kind of feared it would be for me. And it hurts too because it yet again undercuts the festival hype that you called. <laughs> Yeah. Very easily at the time. And I was I was kind of down on it last week and I kind of I don't know. I guess I I I saw it after PJ Clark so I didn't get into this whole rant and I wanted to study it like I said and it the uh, it was obvious the big screen thrills of it. So I I guess if you you have to see it on a big screen. Why would you watch this at home? Yeah. You yeah. idiots, both of us that. included. I agree with that. Uh, there's certainly more uh, payoff to this if you do watch it in a the theater. I would. It has to be. Right. Has We're to be. idiots for watching yeah. this at home. 
It I doesn't agree. work. You have agree, to but, see but it. But nonetheless, I mean, even if you do, it is still gorgeous. But to mm-hmm. uh, piggyback or whatever the proper word is on that point, clearly people aren't going to theaters to watch this. I mean, I think it did like 4.9 or 5.1 million, whatever. Whatever its Thursday numbers were at the box office is very close, if not exactly, to what Halloween Kills did yeah. at the box office for its Thursday previews. And if I were to tell you in, like, you know, June that Halloween Kills and Dune are going to have similar domestic openings, you would have called me crazy. You would think there's a big problem with either Dune or that Halloween Kills was great. Like, there, there's... Dune is this massive epic that should be raking in money for theaters, especially, and it's going to do fifty million. That being said, as a day and date gross, that's pretty strong. And again, they're agreed, making agreed. the money yeah. with HBO Max, and and that's the other part of this. WB doesn't necessarily care what it's doing in theaters. Theaters care what it's not doing for its for them in theaters, but WB doesn't. WB cares about the HBO Max numbers. Plus, the international numbers are strong. So, sure. I, look, I mean, we'll. we'll We'll see if the sequel is greenlit, and it, it really should be based on the numbers. I don't, there's I no way they can't. There's absolutely they have no. To. I, I imagine in the next week or so we're going to get some kind of touting from Warner's saying, "Oh my God, look how many people tuned into this at home." Right, and and hopefully that's the case uh, again, but hopefully it's not because you're really jipping yourself. You should see the movie theaters. <laughs> run me through what you what, remind me. I, I know you, cinematography was obviously one, but run me through what you think the five noms are. Score, sound, cinematography, VFX are definitely four. Yeah. Costume design is probably five. I would, I, I don't, I don't be, see how any of those. I can be talked to. Score, fail. score. I will. I could fight score. But well, that's the thing. Like score has these goofy moments, yeah. especially on TV, mm-hmm. and that's that. That's a sad fact of it. But there's also great moments from Hans Zimmer's score. Yeah. I just like I laugh. When Timothy Chalamet does constipated face <laughs> in a cross cut with other, ah, 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 and then you got the uh, score going. Yeah. That's funny to me. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's funny yeah. to me. Yeah, there is definitely some unintentional comedy. But again, we you said it. Yeah, we're in the minority on this. A lot of people are very high on this. It's a, got a lot of. It's got a lot of highly respected names attached to it, and uh, Villeneuve, and Zimmer, and and Chalamet, and every Skarsgård, and you know it's Momoa, Zendaya. My God, she Rolling, can play any exactly. kind of character right now. So I, I imagine this is going to get all kinds of love uh, on the awards level. I agree with you. Uh, it remains to be seen. What was your grade on it? <sighs> I think my initial grade was like a high B, low B plus in the movie okay. theater at the festival. Mm-hmm. Right. That's coming off of PJ Clark's. <laughs> I, I rewatched it and I despise the rewatch at home. Yeah. That's where I'm at. Like, I, I kind of like things about it. And I mentioned as much with Andrew. And I despised my rewatch at home on HBO Max. I absolutely loathed it. It was boring. Like you said, I, I, I had a, I had a hard time not opening up my phone or my second screen. Well, that's the other thing about watching this at home. I couldn't resist. Like I got I got. Oh, bored then to the you're, point doomed. Was, yeah, exactly, I mean, you're doomed. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. One might say I'm doomed. Oh, uh, yeah. No, no. Exactly. It's like you can't. I, I'm not apologizing. I'm running on three hours sleep. You, <laughs> if you do, if you do get bored at home, there's so many other things that are appealing to you. This is like the worst movie to watch at home for multiple reasons, uh, that included. It but, needs immersion. You you have yeah, to be immersed. That's the problem. 
completely agree. But uh, okay, uh, we'll be in the minority. We'll take our tongue lashings from other people over Dune and how stupid we are. Won't be the first time, won't be the last. And here could be another opportunity for people to tell us how stupid we are because our second review is for The Harder They Fall, Michael. You made your way out to theaters to see a special showing of this one. I was supposed to. I didn't because I'm a coward. What did you think about The Harder They Fall? Yeah, ironically, I watched Dune before I headed out to go see a Netflix movie in theaters. <laughs> but I was with Knobcast Andrew, and we had a very nice time. He treated me, and I appreciate him for it. And we went to a movie theater in Connecticut, the North Haven Cinemark, that I've never been to, and now it's my new favorite theater. Oh, it's great, so yeah. Chick-fil-A is in the same parking lot. I got me some <laughs> of that, which is a treat for us in Connecticut because Chick-fil-A's aren't any- anywhere, really, or mm-hmm. and it's certainly not everywhere like they are in the South. So already I'm happy. Now, there's an awesome movie in The Harder They Fall, and I almost wonder if you perk up while watching this at home, <laughs> you perk up every time there's a cool-ass shot or a scene or a you know musical choice, you may like it more at home than you like it in the movie theaters. If you're immersed in the movie theaters like Andrew and I, I can't tell you how many times we both sighed at the same moments where we're like, ah, <laughs> oh, this is... Too long, or this is inefficient storytelling, or that musical choice is jagged, or the editing really just drove me up a wall here, or it's just normal henchman logic for a thriller, right? Like, or for a Western, excuse me. Why, if you have a force of 50 bad guys, gunmen, are you attacking the heroes two at a time? (laughs) The the Halloween approach? The Halloween approach that we just talked about. (laughs) Like, if you have this force of bad guys shooting guns just like level them at the good guys at the same time when they're out in the open in the middle of the village in the middle of the town why use logic though you know why let logic get in the way of a good story that's every western you forgive it because this you know the big sequences really were cool like there's a great you know uh, finale to this movie and there's a there's incredible performances like i thought idris elba I mean, I did not expect him to be the anchor of this movie emotionally, but he mm. was. Because you, ah. you see him with the strut and flex kind of action movie western scene in the trailer. Right. It's, he's much more than that in this film, and I wouldn't begrudge a supporting actor nomination for him. Oh, wow. Regina King, you would think she's going to have fun like chewing scenery, but no, she's Michael Corleone in this, which is... Uh, just an incredible choice for her to do this subtle, nuanced performance where she's stone cold and, yeah, I just, you know, cracking the veneer kind of thing. And then Jonathan Majors is a movie star. And this movie cinched it for me. If, if I mean, he cinched it already with right. his work uh, for Disney lately. And, of course, he's been, you know, uh, a star in Netflix films now a couple times over. So the two biggest companies in the business are featuring him in a right. major way. And you know so they see it too he is a movie star and he reminds me of leonardo dicaprio just taking scenes in ways you wouldn't expect and delivering lines in ways you wouldn't expect the the choices he makes as an actor are unique and it's it goes from how he leans in the saddle to when he's slick and boastful and 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 putting on the charm in in various scenes to when he's just you know intense and raw emotionally like that's next level movie star talent for jonathan majors so where's the shortcomings in this is it just in the story is it just length the story undercuts itself andrew and i had a long post movie conversation where we kind of agreed on four or five things 
especially mm. one big thing at the end of the movie where like why did we go through that last half hour and maybe that's part of the you know the the futility of the western storyline and it's uh, and you you're you're getting this innovative western told that kind of takes the piss out of the genre now maybe i didn't see all of that on first watch and more of it will make sense on a second watch but my first watch i'm just saying there's a lot of wasted plot here and there's wasted characters there's too many characters like you know andrew thought delroy lindo was underutilized and i agree with him i agree with him like he's almost like this plot armor at certain points and then he's just like this fallback position at other points that's frustrating and the zazzy beats character makes no sense it's almost hilarious how she makes no sense (laughs) i love you i hate you i love you i hate you what about living up to your expectation? I mean, we said Dune, part of the frustration with Dune is that it actually met our expectations in a way. Where, where did this one fall for you on that? I was conditioned not to expect The Harder They Fall as an Oscar contender until some of the people we trust the most, Michael, are having in their best picture tens hmm. right now. So that's what is ultimately frustrating for me because I went on a roller coaster of emotions uh, with uh, the Oscar potential of the harder they fall before this movie and like literally days before the movie where i was like oh my god it's back in the race right and you know we have it back in theaters and we we were you know i had this date with andrew set up you know when after bond for us or after you know we so i had the we're i was gonna see this regardless but i didn't think it had the raised stakes and then here we are that's just the two of us in the theater nine o'clock showing nine twenty-five. Oh, you were the only ones there the only ones there oh wow and that's a problem and, yeah. and i said to him before the movie i was like either nobody knows what this movie is or nobody knows that it's in theaters like that's a problem right. for a movie with this star power and for a movie that's should have been theoretically built for a theater the big western the uh tarantino you know jonathan uh, bender produced kind of spectacle like this should be theater going fair right. but it's just uh, doesn't especially with that cast so uh despite it being in some other people's best picture top tens it, it falls short for you there absolutely unfortunately and, and that, again, you know, it's we're wet blankets to start this episode. We're about to get happy about a lot of nominated films at the Gotham's in a second. But yeah, no, this is a disappointment, unfortunately, with Dune for us and how we how we uh, rank them. But where do you land on this uh, grade wise? You know, I, I don't love giving grades after first watches anymore. But I yeah, I have to be like a B minus C plus. Okay. And it's just that's not. What you want in an Oscars movie, I, I would say, at least in terms of how I, I grade them. No, but worth putting on if you uh, need a movie night on Netflix? The highs are high, and okay. the style is is so next level. Like, you get reggae song choices here that you wouldn't think work, but they work beautifully. Especially you not get, a Western, yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I loved how the production design could be you know, something in any Oscars year. So I, I think, like, to me at the end of the day, like, if you're telling me Idris Elba and production design and costumes and, and even cinematography, which to me, again, was a standout, no, no surprise, from the trailers. There's some inspired cinematography, some sure. zooms, some tracking shots. Love it. Love it. The low-angle shots. I mean, it's iconic stuff and potential for iconic characters here. So if this this could be one of those hits. I mean, we just saw Halloween Kills, very polarizing movie, 50%er. Mm-hmm. 
be a Bafo box office hit, essentially, you know, not just because of its, uh, 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 you know, attachment to Halloween, but it's because it's, you know, I think it it delivers goods at the end yeah. of the day. People walk away from Halloween, like you said, I'm not disappointed by that finale, and here you go, a, a big Western shootout finale and more. So I think if if that works on people, then you got a, a very satisfying movie-going experience, and if you, you know, if you don't expect... You know the screen uh, best screenplay nomination. Maybe, maybe people will be more forgiving than than I am. Baffling that you two were the only ones in theaters for opening night for that for a special screening. That's yeah. that's a little a little concerning. But all, all right, like you said, uh, maybe a little wet blanket from us to start this episode. But we're going to talk about some honest to goodness award season news and nominations as the 2021 Gotham Awards. As we transition here, have announced their full slate of noms. Let's start with the tributes. There will be uh, four on the night. Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog is going to get a director tribute. Kristen Stewart from Spencer is going to get a performer tribute. We have an ensemble tribute this year that's going to go to The Harder They Fall. Idris Elba, Regina King, Jonathan Stewart, Zazie Beetz, Lakeith Stanfield, and Delroy Lindo all involved there. And the industry tribute will be going to Magnolia Chief Iman Bowles. A lot of worthy names in that group. I'm excited for Andrew. I know he was pumped up by Jane Campion's mm-hmm. uh, uh, tribute there. These matter. We've we've seen them time and again matter throughout award seasons. And Gotham's, you know, they pegged some tributes last year that 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 gave legs to the the Chicago Seven, for instance, in the mm-hmm. in the ensemble category as the season went along. I mean, there was the first of many ensemble wins for Chicago Seven, and we've seen. You know, tributes go to and audience awards go to Nomadland and best mm-hmm. features go to Nomadland. So the, the Gotham's have a track record, uh, believe it or not, even though it's a smaller award show and the first thereof. Uh, so let's kind of dive into some of these categories. And remember, folks, this year they shuffled around those categories to make them ungendered. They kept best breakthrough, which was uh, unisex, but they changed best actor and actress which had lead and supportings to now going lead and supporting overall with a bunch of noms so now we have best lead performer and best supporting and as far as the uh, traditions that are going on at the gothams with those changed uh, awards categories the second year in a row women are going to end up doing extraordinarily well yeah. in terms of noms five of the five breakthrough performer noms are female four of the five breakthrough director noms are female three of the five best features were directed by females and four of the seven best supporting performances also all women so it's very exciting, and we, yeah. we've said it for two years now, female filmmakers, they're finally getting more opportunities, and they are making the most of them uh, like they've had to do. The pioneers mm-hmm. in this business had to do for many years. So that's the good news. Look, there is a bittersweet tinge to this, because female filmmakers are getting more nominations at the Film Independence Award Show, where the budgetary cap is $20 million for these movies. Mm-hmm. Right. That is a promising sign for the next wave of filmmaking talent, but is it is still a sobering reminder to us all that the bigger film production budgets are still going and skewing towards male filmmakers. And there are still systemic inequities in the business sure. that are far from fixed. Now, if we do see nominations at the award shows to come skew male, that is why, legitimately yeah. why, 
that is happening overall. But whether we expect that or not, at this point in award season, I'm encouraged and I'm heartened. And something like this gives us a lot of hope at the Gotham's. We get yeah. a female slant, and it's rightful, I think, because we've we've said it the last two years. Female-driven films have been saving our years, have been sustaining us throughout the pandemic, uh, most of all, Mike. And good for the Gothams for, you know, making this, keeping that train going and keeping it on those tracks and doing it second year in a row and, and taking the big step to change overall a lot of the major categories as well, but yet still having a chance to champion uh, females all around the, uh, you know, in front of camera, behind camera, all around the set Definitely. there, so... Uh, let's talk about some of the nominees. We'll start with the tallies overall. Passing and the Lost Daughter lead all films with five nominations apiece this year. And, of course, as always, when it comes to the Gothams, what do they mean in terms of Oscars' uh, relevance? They, like Sex Panther, 60% of the time, mean everything every time. They are they are the most important things and nothings when it comes to Oscars' relevancy. Uh, last year's nomination leader at the show was First Cow. Obviously, no Oscars for First Cow, but before that was Marriage Story. Then the favorite prior to that, Call Me By Your Name prior to that, Moonlight prior to that. They led their respective fields, and they were all obviously heavily nominated throughout award season, including at the Academy Awards. Yeah, Tangerine, Martha May, Marcy, Marlene. Anyway, they, they've had other movies that did not have the legs uh, as the ones you mentioned there, but Boyhood, 12 Years a Slave, Beast of the Southern Wild. Yeah, it might even be better than Sex Panther by Odeon. It might be more like 70%. So that, yeah, I mean, the, the Gothams do have a, a, a strong track record. Film Independent has great taste, and they are taste makers, which is uh, exciting because movies that we've really loved, like Sean Heater's Coda, uh, three nominations apiece for, for Coda, and Shatara Michelle Ford's Test Pattern, by the way. I don't think I've had a chance to review that yet, but I really enjoyed that film. We're going to talk about it throughout this card here. Go see that. I believe it's just on like stars or something, test pattern. Uh, mm. Heavy subject matter, but it's about this case of sexual assault, and it's just this rousing film of a, of a, a relationship. That, I, that was the most heartening part about it. Like It's a great film about a relationship that gives you just so so much hope for humanity and so much hmm. solace about uh you know to you know for for a single guy like me in the fact that yeah maybe relationships are good mike maybe we should have one of those with somebody at some point. hard disagree go ahead <laughs> <laughs> the two nom club some big names the card counter shiva baby a movie that we really like come on mm. come on one of my favorite from yeah. the festival el planeta I haven't seen it yet. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on VOD. we got to seek it out. Red Rocket, uh, Sean Baker there. The Green Knight and Zola, A24. And I'm excited again here for so many people who are excited about these movies, number one. But also some of my favorites got nominated. So the excitement is genuine. I'm not just happy for people who love sashes <laughs> in The Green Knight or... You know, cool ass montages in Zola, right? I mean, maybe those movies weren't our favorites on the year, but in a you know an award show that highlights and should highlight eclectic taste, right? Like these are some cool ass movies, undeniably cool. 
I would watch Zola 8,000 times before I watch Dune again. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is. It, I mean, it's a nice wide array, as it usually is at the Gothams, of things being recognized and things that are worthy to be recognized. And for some of these, this is going to be the biggest award show, which they do get recognition on. So uh, it's going to be their biggest moment of the year, and they deserve to have a moment. But let's talk through a few of the categories here at the Gothams. Let's start with one of our favorites every year. That is Breakthrough Performer. Uh, the nominees are Amelia Jones and Coda. Natalie Morales in Language Lessons, Rachel Senna in Shiva Baby, Susanna Sun in Red Rocket, and Amalia Ullman in El Planeta. So I know a lot of people have Rachel Sennett in, still in their top five, so that's If exciting. Rachel Sennett wins a Gotham Award, New York City's done its job. Like, they yeah. can close up shop. That's peak NYC. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's awesome. HBO Max, watch that movie, uh, Shiva Baby. Coda, one of my favorite performances still on the year she's still in my top five believe it or not amelia jones uh, a young actress that's you know may not get the legs we hope for her this award season but certainly a knocking on the door performance i praised Susanna sun i praised uh rachel senate already i have not seen language lessons or el planeta so morales and ullman will have to check those performances out but i'm excited and validated in the sense that we love the trailer for language lessons we could not do south by southwest this past year but that's a movie that's now on vod and el planeta is now on vod so we gotta you know after these film festivals are are over in my case san diego right now i'm ready i'm ready for those two movies but, I mean, just fun to see Coda, Shiva Baby, Red Rock, all those represented in a single category just like that. And we do. I mean, that, that's no that's no hyperbole. We love the breakthrough categories every year, and they do bear fruit for the future, no doubt. Um, Five women as, here, too. Hey, man, yeah. let's go. Yeah. As far as the Breakthrough Director Award, the Bingham Ray Breakthrough Director Award nominees, maybe you've heard of Maggie Gyllenhaal. She's there for The Lost Daughter. Edson Oda for Nine Days. Rebecca Hall for Passing. Emma Seligman for Shiva Baby. And Shatara Michelle Ford for Test Pattern. Yeah, can recommend all five of those films. The Lost Daughter is probably still my highest rated of that bunch. And we've seen this category and we've seen uh, this award show not just start Oscar campaigns, but, uh, you know, really launch them. Last year, Nomadland was was just another stop along the way for it, where Nomadland won a bunch here. Marriage Story, like we said recently. So The Lost Daughter could really give Maggie Gyllenhaal some momentum here. Kind of unique, too, to see two established acting veterans go head-to-head in the breakthrough director category, and Rebecca Hall and Maggie Gyllenhaal there. Very uh, cool. Going to be something to, to keep an eye on. Best screenplay. Nominees go with The Card Counter. That's Paul Schrader, obviously. El Planeta, Amelia Ullman. Again, The Green Knight from David Lowry. The Lost Daughter from Maggie Gyllenhaal. Passing from Rebecca Hall. And Red Rocket, Sean Baker and Chris Burgich. Yeah, so for the first category, I actually take some issue here. The Green Knight, the Red, Red Rocket scripts were not in on those on the page necessarily i actually think the direction was pretty inspired for both cases with david lowry and sean baker but where do you give the credit we always ask this like this is a composition award and sometimes they give the credit to the page instead of the direction i am a fan of a couple of these other scripts though with uh with the lost daughter with passing even before it's edit so i'm excited to see the newly edited and tighter passing cut that netflix has redone after sundance and if you combine red rocket with the green knight you get the yellow cake from first cow so that's you know keeping a nice streamlined thing that the gothams is doing there again three hours <laughs> sleep people i'm apologizing for nothing <laughs> there's donuts in uh, red rocket yeah <laughs> 
outstanding lead performance. Olivia Coleman gets a nod again. Maybe you've heard of her for The Lost Daughter. Frankie Faison for The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain. Michael Grayeyes in Wild Indian. Brittany S. Hall for Test Pattern. Oscar Isaac for The Card Counter. Taylor Page for Zola. Joaquin Phoenix in Come On, Come On. Simon Rex in Red Rocket. Lily Taylor for Paper Spiders. And Tessa Thompson in Passing. Kind of a loaded category for the for Gotham's award show. How in the hell do you vote in this yeah. category? Like, you have... Oscar winners, Olivia Coleman, Joaquin Phoenix. You have guys named Oscar and Oscar Isaac. <laughs> no, I mean, you have great performances this year. Michael Grayeyes was terrifying in, in Wild Ending at Tribeca. We have Simon Rex, who, who could be launching his career. Tessa Thompson, a performance like none other in her career thus far. Just, I, I was so impressed with her in passing. And then, I, I don't know why Taylor Page isn't coming up more, uh, but she's here and she might get recognition from Zola here. And I, you know, it's just such a hard category to pick. I have not seen Frankie Faison. The killing of Kenneth Chamberlain just came on VOD there. Got to get after that. Uh, we, we have not seen the card counter yet. We are kind of down on the marketing of that. Otherwise, Lily Taylor, Paper Spiders, another movie. All three of those I think are available on VOD right now. So we got to seek them out. I would love to – I hope somebody does go through the uh, process of kind of picking the brain of a couple of Gotham voters and trying to get what how they do decipher these categories because not only do you have the the eliminating of the gender roles, but you also have on top of it – I mean, these are big – Olivia Coleman is a huge name. Oscar Isaac, huge name. Joaquin Phoenix, huge name. Simon Rex, up-and-comer. Taylor Page, up-and-comer. Tessa Thompson, huge name and an up-and-comer. Like, I don't know how you – go through and actually parse through all of these and then decide who you're actually voting for. I would love to see a little behind uh, inside baseball and the thought process of that. Not the showiest performance from Phoenix and a very nuanced performance from Coleman. So I don't necessarily know if they have, like, I mean, I think they're, it's obvious that they should be nominated, but this is, yeah, this is a unique category. Like there's no performance here that I can pick. Like I don't, I'm glad I'm not betting on this category is what I'll say. Well, that makes one of us. Anyway, outstanding supporting <laughs> performance, the nominees. Reed Bernie in Mass. Mass maybe a, a little, a kind of an upset at how little Mass is represented overall in the Gothams, but we'll talk about that. Jesse Buckley in The Lost Daughter. Coleman Domingo from Zola. Gabby Hoffman in Come On, Come On. Troy Kotzer in Coda. Marley Matlin in Coda. And Ruth Nega from Passing. I'm excited about this category because there could be a lot of Oscars momentum coming from this category to whoever wins in Troy Kotzer and Marley Matlin from CODA, Reed Bernie and Mass, the one Mass actor that I would think is probably being overlooked in this season thus far, and he's great in the movie. I wonder if they considered, because this is a committee situation, four or five people, a couple from IndieWire over there, picking these categories at the Gotham's for film independent. Yeah. I think this might have been a category submission thing, or maybe they're not submitting. Maybe they're just, they're pulling the, the actors into certain categories. So maybe there's some cannibalization with the, the other three mass actors in, in the lead performance category. And Reed Bernie is a beneficiary here, but he's deserving. And Jesse Buckley's awesome. And a lost daughter, Gabby Hoffman. I was on her, uh, last last week from Come On, Come On. And, and Ruth Negga's got legitimate Oscar momentum right now from passing. So, v- again, an exciting category and something that means a lot for the Oscars, I would say. 
and Dowd, I would say, had a lot of legitimate Oscars momentum, but to yeah. not see her name here, I mean, to see two from CODA in this category, and only one from Mass, and that one isn't Ann Dowd, who's pro- arguably, and probably to me, at least the name that I've heard most in terms of Oscar circles and Oscars momentum, uh, kind of surprising. Very surprising. But at the same time, you know, other names could get a boost. Mm-hmm. So. Sure. Best feature, the nominees are Green Knight, The Lost Daughter, Passing, Pig, and Test Pattern. So Pig shows up here. Unbelievable. <laughs> like, Unbelievable. After Nick Cage doesn't show up in lead mm-hmm. performance, and he's getting all the buzz out there, like legit Oscar buzz in, in many cases for, for his lead. He's in a lot of top tens right now, you would say. High profile top tens. So I, I'm a little shocked there. Dev Patel, same deal. Like He didn't show up in lead performance, but here's the Green Knight. I would not have predicted this five. If you showed me the nominations, right, from the rest yeah. of the card, you how could you predict uh, predict the Green Knight pig, uh, at least those two? But, yeah, test pattern, doing well across the board. Lost Daughter passing, obviously. But, no, it's, it's cool. It's a cool five movies, I would say, and I can recommend all five to a degree. You and I aren't necessarily as high on the Green Knight. I was not necessarily as high on Pig, for one, but I could see why people picked it. I like that, and I like all the alliteration coming out of my mouth right now with P-words. <laughs> and the fans of those movies are, like, hardcore Hardcore, fans of those so that's cool. Too, so. Yeah. All right, we will transition. We'll talk about the best international film category at the Gotham's in just a few moments, but let's talk about uh, the next set of noms we got with the best documentary noms at these 2021 Gotham's. Right, Mike, we have Ascension, which is getting a ton of buzz. I'll talk about that more in a minute. Faya Dei, Flea, President, and Summer of Soul. So this committee went to Sundance, and this committee... (laughs) Uh, watched a and few they like Questlove at Tribeca. Yeah, I, this was this was a Sundance five, I would say, in a big way here. But all right, so those are the five. Let's let's build on them, Mike. What what do we got coming out out of the sixth annual Critics Choice Documentary Awards? So we'll get more of a documentary slate here. What do we got? So their Ascension and Summer of Soul. They go for the biggest prize and they lead the field. They have six nominations apiece. Six nominations apiece for both those movies. Summer of Soul, I get. That's a cool-ass concert movie that has the goods to be delivered. It's on Hulu. Questlove did an awesome job with it. You got huge names from, uh, you know, Stevie Wonder, Sly and the Family Stone, Nina Simone anchoring that concert, never mind that movie. Awesome. Goods delivered. Watch that on Hulu. Ascension drives me crazy, and it may drive me crazy for the rest of award season because it's just recordings of Chinese industry workers. They're documenting five minutes in one factory, 10 minutes of a security force training session, 15 minutes at a sex dial manufacturer, and on and on this movie goes. I guess it's a unique experience that could suck you in. Maybe it has to be seen in a theater. I watched it at home during Tribeca and I am not a fan. I'm sorry. I'm just not a fan of that documentary experience. It's artsy, extra fartsy. I don't know. I'm not in. I think there's so many more important uh, stories, nonfiction, true stories being told this year. And 
I don't know. I just it's it's getting not it's getting love across the board, and I could totally see that weird ass branch voting it in here and there and everywhere. <laughs> just want to. Uh, props to me there for listening to you talk about not only a sex doll manufacturer, but saying the terms suck you in and love across the board and me not giggling at any of those. That's, uh, that's I had so many. I had so many double entendres there. <laughs> and in last episode, Halloween Kills, that I realized in our, you know, sign off. Yeah, the last five minutes of that episode are gross. Gross. (laughs) Matt Geodocs, The Rescue, which is an also mom favorite. She called me to yell at me about The Rescue one day, basically, uh, and also becoming Cousteau here. They land five noms apiece as well. Yeah, these are both high grades from me. I think they'll both wind up on Disney+, Plus. but here's the exciting thing. They're both in theaters right now, and I think they both will play very well in theaters, uh, at least... As, as, as an audience member so go and see those in theaters if you get the chance especially the rescue if i have to recommend one over the other but uh yeah absolutely check those movies out as they come you know available yeah don't yell at me again please also mom i haven't yet seen the rescue i'm going to get to it i promise i will see it yeah you have uh, to you have to or else <laughs> yeah well get the wooden spoon out on me uh attica the crime of the century introducing selma blair and my name is paulie murray those each land three noms including best doc yeah i've yet to see i'm sorry i, I do have screening tickets for all of them coming up again ida you know 55 bucks for that membership and uh I'm going to see all these movies in in that, uh, like, 30-movie slate, which is awesome, by the way. fear for your mindset and your mental capacity Mm. with this best documentary feature branch (laughs) coming up with all the doc work you've done and are going to do. I have favorites. That's the problem. (laughs) I I can't help but have favorites. (laughs) Uh, Otherwise, we have A Crime on the Bayou, which is a murder mystery doc, which can be seen now on Stars. Uh, The much-lauded Flea from Neon, that could be a, a multiple Oscar nominee if film Twitter is to believe. They have a lot of hardcore mm-hmm. fans out there of that. Also, one of your favorites, Mike, Sony's The Lost Leonardo, which you have previewed and reviewed on this show. Mm-hmm. And uh, a Netflix documentary contender in Catholic Church Scandal Doc Procession are all uh, mentioned here. Yeah, I think Netflix has finally got a movie that they're kind of getting behind in Procession. But I do want to talk about my one snub at the 6th Annual Critics' Choice Documentary Awards and get on critics like we've been a theme of our episode. The First Wave! The First Wave is a neon documentary. You're already starting. You're already getting upset at the documentary branches. This one, (laughs) my God, what a serious subject. But it's about the first four months of COVID in New York City, right? And the frontline workers... I I choke back tears multiple times, but I I have to say this is such a rewarding experience. If you're you're worried about it being soul-crushing, do not worry. Go and check out the heroism on display here and and remind yourself of just so many good people and how they fought through and persevered through this pandemic. My God, this is now up there with the rescue as my best documentaries of the year a a rousing b plus grade for me the first wave another neon documentary uh that i'm super high on and it's something that kind of fits it sounds like it's tailor-made for when we do get to the academy awards i mean it's an issue movie it's present day people can relate to it it's kind of got that 
black cloud hanging over it, but it finishes with that bright line, it sounds like. I've not seen it yet. I've just been going off what you've talked about. But those are typically, when we keep talking about the types of films that documentary branch does end up settling on and liking and favoring, it sounds like it has a lot there. So it could be the rare case of something that doesn't do well in the precursors and then is a surprise there with the Academy anyway. Please. Please. And it, yeah, it's coming from the big studio. You know Neon. And Neon is, yeah, Neon things, is yeah. beloved, of course, uh, within the Academy. Let's go back and talk about Best International Film quickly, and we'll do that by starting to talk about what was nominated in that category at the Gothams. Uh, we have Azor, Drive My Car, The Souvenir Part 2, Titan. I've heard of that at some point. Uh, what do we see when we look at the sky, which is something you just reviewed a couple episodes ago for us, and the worst person in the world, uh, which you've also seen and were very high on? Yeah, because we're getting a ton of Oscar submissions for this Best International Film category. So let's put it in that context. Argentina and Norway have yet to make their selections as of the time of this recording. So I believe Azor and the worst person in the world, which uh, IndieWire Screen Talk said, is the assumed nominee, but you never know, from Norway. So those are still very much alive and could get a boost here at the Gothams. Georgia has already selected Tribeca Film Brighton Forth, which is about an aged Greco-Roman wrestler who comes to help his son out in New York City and kind of, in a way, is it's an immigrant story, but it's also like this old wrestler story. It's, it's a fascinating watch, I would say. I'm not necessarily high, as high on it as, as some other people, but... I tell you, George is putting out some good movies. Like I, I mentioned the highs of what do we see when we look at the sky. That's a really adorable film mm. that maybe he should have cut 30 minutes out of, but mm-hmm. it's still very good. Otherwise, Michael, Drive My Car. This is a, a big move for Drive My Car from Japan. I, I thought that was one of my you know, one of the better films at the New York Film Festival. Titan though, I it still has to be the main takeaway here because that was the big news of the last two weeks. Titan the submission, after all, yeah, coming out of tapped. France. Yeah, and and I mean, look, we've been hard on France with their official selections for the Academy of kind of uh, going away from the female-helmed picture and this the Julia Durkinow one here. She might be up for a couple awards, a couple uh, big award shows and major precursors herself, so good on France for picking that. As far as other submissions within the international feature, I just saw, just want to make note of it because it's the greatest titled film ever uh, okay. and one that you were high on. Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn was officially oh, tagged as Romania's selection as no. well. No, no. That was a ta- Romania. That's their official selection for uh, for the Oscars. So there you go. Why? Oh God! <laughs> no, I just I don't type in the- loony porn. By the way, if you type yeah. in loony porn to to Google, you get you, you will find the movie. You'll All right. Find the last thirty sites. minutes are worth it. They make the whole movie worth it. They're fun and they're funny and they mean something. I just despised the middle hour of that film. I just despised it with every fiber of my being. <laughs> I, I just hated it. Like, she walks around the city for no reason. Yeah, but at the None. same time, it's called Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn. So 30 minutes a. of errands. A plus Great. plus. Here's your Oscar. <laughs> Here, why am I getting There's going to be 94 submissions this year. All right. I, I, I do want to say I'm glad Tatan's alive. Otherwise, uh, I, I want to... I have to mention another French film because they had a great slate this year. My God, happening. Yeah. Uh, and Petite Memon, or Little Mom. I should just call it Little Mom. No, 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 no. Oh, you always call it with a French accent, please. 
Neon's Petite Maman. Thank you. Adorable. My God, Celine Shiyama, one of the better screenwriters working today. This mm-hmm. is a short, heartwarming story. 72 minutes. That's it. But you cannot help but love all of these sweethearted characters. I expected, you know, the rave reviews would translate into a good movie. I did not expect it would translate into this time travel script told in such a fun, cool, innovative way. Like a movie called Little Mom and it's just kids playing in in the woods kind of thing. So it's a shame that France had so many good movies this year and they they couldn't pick this one to have more legs, especially after Shyama was kind of beat out in a similar fashion last year with uh, Les Miserables with uh, Portrait of Lady on Fire. Is that two years is that I two think years it, ago I think it was now? two years ago. Yeah. Honest, honest to God, everything feels like 2020 still. I can't believe we're in October of 2021. So, Well, Little Mom's going to be playing at other virtual film festivals. I saw it at San Diego, which I'm still watching. I get to rewatch The Worst Person in the World, which I'm excited about this weekend. That'll probably be my, I'm dead tired, and that'll be my watch Saturday night. Your sanity is, <laughs> I mean, I'm, you, you, you sound great right now. I'm happy for you. It's the end of October. You're doing well with the international feature and doc feature categories. I worry about what's to come in the next few months for your sanity. As you should, yes. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, we'll round the corner and head for home here with a couple last-minute uh, segments. Just a quick touch on what Disney did recently. Uh, they shifted pretty much their entire slate, uh, which affects not only the MCU, but other movies as well. Uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is going to move uh, from March of 2022 to May 6th of 2022. Thor Love and Thunder also moves two months from May of 2022 uh, to July of 2022. Black Panther moves four months. That was going to be in July of 2022. That's now going to be 11-11-2022. That may be Oscar-y, though, that, that Could release be. date. That Absolutely, helps. and there's going to be tons of eyes on, I mean, my God. Totally. How are they, what are they going to do? How do they replace T'Challa? Or how are they going to honor him? Loads of eyes. So you, you could make a great point there. That could very well be an Oscar-y play. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as something that probably won't be an Oscar-y play and getting moved almost an entire year, Indiana Jones 5 goes from the end of July 2022 to the end of June 2023. Just give me a good movie, though. Please, Papa, Papa Spielberg. Please, I'm begging you. Just give me Shia LaBeouf and Aliens. That's all I need <laughs> for that franchise. Uh, the Marvels which was going to be 11-11-2022, the date that Black Panther 2 has moved to, has been moved to February of 2023, and Ant-Man and the Wasp, the Quantumania movie, was going to be that date, that date that the Marvels are now on, February 17th, 2023, is going to move to July 28th of 2023. There will be a test on all of this later. <laughs> I- what does this mean, though? What? Why are they moving it? Is it production related issues? Is it? We didn't do the research on this. No, one. no, I, I have no why. idea. I my my gut reaction says Disney is still fearing COVID. And if you look at like if you look at Dune, and what Dune isn't doing in theaters, at least at what it seems like it won't be doing in theaters. Look, if you're a blockbuster studio, if you care about theatrical box office receipts, they're seeing a ceiling, concern. or maybe. maybe. I, I, Ultimately, I think after their success at Shang with Shang Chi, though, I, I, I think they see the opening weekend, but they're maybe not seeing the the hold. Could be. I there was a what I Bond lost sixty something percent. I think like I, I yeah. maybe it was Bond, maybe it was the preceding blockbuster, but yeah, they, that could be it as well. I mean, could be a, a litany of things. Families, I don't think are going to the box office right now. It, well, they're not going. In, 
again and again and again, maybe. Yeah, yeah maybe. You're, you might be right. You might be yeah. right. Uh, I, but, you know, they, they turned out for Shang-Chi, and then Disney seemed to be very happy with that. It, uh, it may be a case of domestic versus international box office. It's above our pay grade, though. Let's, let's, let's say that much. <laughs> At least for this episode, certainly. <laughs> we could talk about some contender trailers and some maybe not contender and just Mike self-indulgent trailers at the end of this. <laughs> we'll start with the Oscar-y one. Being the Ricardos had its first teaser look, and my God, was this a teaser look because you don't even see the Ricardos. Not really. And that's why I'm befuddled by the film Twitter response. Like, there was all these pieces written by, oh, film Twitter. Like, the the, the Twitter uh, headline, right, on the right-hand column of Twitter mm-hmm. said, nobody stuff, trusts yeah. Nicole Kidman now to pull this off or something like that. How do you get that level of doubt from this particular I trailer? Have no idea. You don't see her. You don't see Nicole Kidman. You don't see Lucille Ball. You see the red hair a couple times. Like I'm almost heartened at the fact that it's Nicole Kidman's normal voice, kind of doing this industry insider, you know, level with the audience, give you the skinny Sorkin-esque voiceover narration that we've heard so many times to bring us into his stories. Like that matter of fact delivery and it's kind of what me. lucille ball was i mean the the lucy arnez voice from the show if you ever saw an interview with lucille ball that was not lucille ball's voice that was a stage voice good and she was much more deadpan and much more matter of fact and like hardened and and for what she went through in the industry she got every right to be of course but so yeah i'm, I'm with you i kind of like the uh the voiceover delivery from nicole kibben and mike if anyone's deserved the benefit of the doubt right now isn't it look i have my doubts too about her being able to pull off the look but nicole kidman has not put out a bad performance in decades well i would say that i'm turned around i'm the opposite of we're just the opposite of film twitter on everything aren't we <laughs> it's just what's happening i don't know why Good. it's happening but it's happening uh, i i'm as my grass gets mowed right outside my window here, sorry. <laughs> I think that Nicole Kidman in the one facial expression was Lucille Ball in the black and white. And I am thrilled that she's not trying to do an impersonation of the on-screen version, like you say, behind the scenes in every in every yeah. uh, scene. So we, we get that here in the trailer I thought it worked, and I thought he did a. I thought Amazon cut a really cool trailer. It ends in the heart-shaped credit title card. There, that worked for me. I don't know what people are talking about. I liked it. Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball versus Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana. I mean, that has all the potential in the world for a mano e mano Oscars fight if those both live up to and have the Oscars legs that they seem they might. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun all season long. Plus, you throw in a an unexpected nominee from someone out there. That'd be that that category shaping up to be something very, very fun. As a lead actress, quite frankly, has been in our time of doing MMO. Absolutely. Uh, All right, Mike. The Batman trailer two is why everybody comes to Mike, Mike, and Oscar in general, right? No, of course not. So again. I, I like I'm a little uh, exasperated that we can't just like what everybody else likes yeah, here. I know. Uh, now I'm not as low on this as you are, but I'm not exactly high on it either. So you, l- 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 we got to explain ourselves. The Batman trailer too. Uh, <laughs> so in the way I was upset with Dune because it exactly met my expectations, in that I always thought it was like Star Wars, but maybe a little less. 
this is so Batman that it had to be Batman. The this new is Batman. this is like Nolan's Batman, only a little less. It's like it, it's it's really it, this trailer especially looked like a rehash of some of the Batman movies' greatest hits. In that there's things that have been done already and are memorable on their own in cinematic lore, yeah. but just put through the grittier or, or maybe at least different Nolan-esque lens, like. Let's have the big Batmobile car chase scene through Gotham like we had with Clooney, The Dark Knight, and Ayer Suicide Squad. But mm-hmm. instead of Arnold or Heath Joker, we'll have the bad guy be, what, Jared Leto's House of Gucci character, essentially? <laughs> like, let's have our own Why So Serious or I Was Born in Darkness. But instead of those memorable lines, we'll settle on what's black and blue and dead all over. What Did my if, nephew write that? <laughs> what if that's a really funny line, though, in the context of the movie? I Like, I get it. It's not. Like, he's known to be the Riddler, and that's That's his it. riddle? <laughs> no, it's a terrible riddle. I agree. It's funny. Like, Maybe? let's just literally have Christian Bale's bat voice be no, done I by like a different actor. No, your, your, your ears aren't working. I liked how they kind of computer synth the voice. I thought that worked. No, you didn't. You didn't like but it. It's, it. To me, it sounded. It just sounded like Robert Pattinson was doing Christian Bale's voice. And Christian Bale, when he did, I mean, that was unique. We had never really heard it done because it makes a ton of sense. He's trying to. But this was just. It just. This seemed like let's redo some famous Batman scenes with these actors and this lens and this type of context, and people will like it because it's gritty Batman again. They have gritty Batman again. And I, I don't disagree with you that they're kind of pulling from the best of air with the, you know, the, the grill Joker makeup for all those henchmen, right. That he beats up so famously mm-hmm. in the first trailer. Okay. And then there, yeah, there's a lot of Nolan esque things. Catwoman, you know, being the cat burglar. I think, uh, I I'm hoping that's a, that's a fun plot line. So you're right. They're taking some bests and they're playing some hits from the last few iterations of Batman. However, I I do have some faith in the cast and crew here. I do too. I I mean, I'm hoping this was just one me being completely cynical, as I have been about a lot of stuff um, these past It's too popular for you not to give it some hell, (laughs) right? right? And I'm hoping it's just a poorly cut trailer. Honestly, well, that's the problem with the trailers. Like, there are three climaxes in the at least in the fandom version. Yeah, like you have the first denouement, and you think the trailer's over, and then there's two more. Right. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Uh, denouement, denouement. I gotta learn French. I just can't keep doing this no, to. All I love. These I good want people. your your French is perfect as far as I'm concerned. I'm just gonna end everything like, <laughs> like an ass. <sighs> so A beignet. A baguette. A baguette. I just need to quit. No, I I should have I should never speak French is what should happen. But all right, let's go from my terrible French to comic books where I'm also just vastly uninformed. But I do know the long Halloween. I do like the source material. And I did enjoy the two kind of addictive I would say no, not kind of addict addictive animated films from this past year. On the long Halloween. I enjoyed that. And if this is Detective Batman more so than other movies, then Detective Batman is the best in that story, I think. So I'm in. Uh, I'm also fan- a fan of this cast. I'm a huge fan Same. of Zoe Kravitz. Uh, I-, I do want to, you know, hit 
one specific character with a bowling pin, but that's not my fault. <laughs> but look, I think uh, I'm especially happy for Mr. <laughs> Mr. Richard Kind. I mean, he deserves this. <laughs> Those are very good back-to-back jokes by you. I, too, am excited to see what Paul Dano does with the Riddler character. So I asked Andrew last night, though, but why is the Penguin so Italian? Like, he is he a Falcone? That's what I'm confused about. Like, I know Danny DeVito's Italian, which Andrew said to me. I mean, he's like, well, Danny DeVito, Mike. Like, that's a good point. But just, I didn't think his name was Chester Coppopaglia. I'm Italian. So I just, I didn't realize this. Um, I have no answers for you. So, like, the I think they're hiding the Riddler, to get back to your point. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, well, you don't see him. I mean, you don't see him at all. You see him in the, fir- the opening shot of this. You see his back. You, you see as much as Paul Dano's Riddler as you do of Nicole Kidman's Lucy. Yeah, and Richard Kind is getting featured here because he's getting his own HBO Max show about the Penguin. I can't believe. Like, <laughs> so Batman's, like, that infuriated with a guy who looks like that? Danny DeVito's Penguin is more intimidating to me because he's at least off-putting. I mean, Colin Farrell's Cobblepot looks just like a guy. <laughs> Well, he looks like a ga- the Italian gangster character, so that's yeah, why I'm confused. Yeah, I guess, but like worse. <laughs> like, I'm so I confused. shouldn't be. I shouldn't like have faith in my ability to take one of Batman's biggest villains, and I could beat up that Penguin. I know that. Uh, perhaps <laughs> no, I would say no. Bad back. You and got all, him. I'm taking that Penguin out. All right. Can I go back to an old school Mike? to criticism yes. in the sense that I have issues with some hair. Yes, please. Well, Robert Pattinson's slick to the side hairdo is stupid. <laughs> Robert Pattinson messy hair is, I wish. Sexy. And Robert Pattinson's <laughs> slick backed and blow dried hair is lion-esque. So mm. what are they doing? Give mm. him the slick back hair. He looks great in slick back hair. And then never mind his blow dried quaff from tenant on my my god he's just the man yeah forever he's got the greatest hair on the planet so what are the, how do you how do you screw up his hair is what i'm saying it's a fair it's a fair criticism i'm hoping again i mean look to bright side this and bright line this a little bit and so we're not just totally the opposite of it we still want to see the batman and we want it to be very good and we think it can be and will be right i i thought the riddler stuff with the duct tape the serial murderer angle on the riddler from the first trailer was scary and Agreed. i think it's scarier in this trailer that he's about to order ramen noodles and he's arrested before he can eat those ramen noodles. Again, that's a, a foodie event for myself. I, I always get up for some ramen and uh, or lately anyway. And, you know, I, I, I would be devastated if uh, and then never mind the fact that he's in the, the diner and he's getting cappuccino and he has to he can't finish his cappuccino. He's just got to draw Does a question cappuccino mark. go with noodles, though. Would you do that? No, maybe I'm getting things confused. I thought he was getting ramen and getting arrested, but uh, same scene, isn't it? What if that's Paul Dano's character? What if his Riddler is just finding the question isn't a, a threatening joke? It's just what has the best food in Gotham? <laughs> maybe he's just on a best food in Gotham <laughs> yeah, tour. He's just a food blogger. <laughs> and, oh my God, would that make me happy? And and maybe it, it's two separate scenes, and one's at a diner, and the other's at a at a ramen noodle place, and I'm getting confused for no reason. His I'm villain origin, his villain origin story is because he keeps getting arrested right before he takes the first bite of every meal he sits down at. Wouldn't that be the horror movie of all horror movies? We're getting into spooky season. That that would be it for me right there. 
Well, speaking of spooky season and horror movies, we finally had our first look at 2022's Scream or Scream 5. Okay, You were not a fan of this. This is not a great trailer, and they kind of make a lot of key mistakes of every horror movie trailer that I don't like, where they just get really loud and jagged, and it's just frustrating to me. Like, they try and use jump scare filmmaking and sandwich it into, like, 10-second bursts in a, in, a, in a film trailer. It does not work. Never works. It didn't work for Get Out as far as I was concerned. Never mind for Scream here, but I have a lot that I like about this trailer as well. They gotta kill off one of the three, if not all three of them. Oh, you think that this is not gonna be the start of a, of a new trilogy where they... Sydney, Sydney can live and like die in the third one if this is a new trilogy, but I, I think one of them has to die in this movie, if not multiple. Who would be your bet? Because uh, I, I I have mine. I think it's Courtney Cox. Why? My that would be my bet, but it has nothing to do with scream reasons. My bet would be Courtney Cox because she doesn't need to do this anymore. <laughs> she doesn't. She's got the friends. Right. Uh, <laughs> She's living off all kinds of royalties. In. What does she need to keep coming back and playing Gale? Uh, but I, look, as far as the trailer, I was on here when we reviewed the Matrix Four trailer, saying that there's few films in which technology has affected the world of that movie more than the matrix you could put scream right on there i mean house phones landlines aren't a thing anymore right you know and and, and they're I doing think, their best here right they did a. I like the the thing in the trailer where they have the the home security system being hacked and all the locks are unlocked and all the locks are locked mm-hmm. i i, I kind of dig that but they they're gonna have to adapt in some way i mean what are you gonna just wouldn't wouldn't the call show up on your cell phone as like possible spam and you just not answer it? <laughs> Poss- you could do that, but then you get texts. Right. I guess. Right. Uh, I I am intrigued. I hope this is a true reboot, Quill. I hope this is going to introduce a new trilogy. But you you can't. Sydney Prescott should be in as an insane asylum. <laughs> I, I do get excited about the old trio as mentor heroes, I would I say. I do, too. So, like, the, I think the bones are there for exactly what we want if the trailer was better. So the, there's the makings of a, of a Scream sequel that we're, we're in for. We get the at-home phone, you know, what's your favorite scary movie set up. We, we get it with, you know, some um, a modernized tinge. But then we get, like... 20-somethings playing high schoolers, fine, but 20-something actors and actresses here that we like, like from In the Heights and The mm-hmm. Boys and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. They're playing teens getting hunted for meta reasons, we hope, right? So those meta reasons got to live up for us. They're all related to the original killers. That's kind of a red flag for me, too. That's going to be tough to write. It Very tough to write, but I will say the ending line it worked perfect for me. Hello, Loved Sydney. It. It's an honor. It's an honor. Perfect. That was I great. Absolutely love that. Um, I would also love if the killer turns out to be Ben Platt's character from Evan Hansen. <laughs> <laughs> Count cosine. I'm in. Just for no reason whatsoever. Just no. For why? Because funny. I guess. Yeah. Thirty years old. 
Uh, we will be doing something with the Scream series, as we have promised and told you about in the last few episodes. That's on the horizon uh, for us as far as this episode coming to a close here. As always, what matters to us, dear listener, is your thoughts. What did you think about any of these trailers? Do you share our concerns with Scream or the Batman? Uh, do you share our zagging with how we feel about the I Love Lucy trailer or about Dune or the harder they fall in general, as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns. You can leave all of those on our social medias about anything we do here in the MMO Empire. Uh, we are at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you hear podcasts. And if you're listening to us on the Apple Podcast app, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, it takes one click and it would truly mean the world to us. Thank you to all of you who have done so. Michael. Let's tell the good people what is coming next from us as Halloween week approaches, and let's have some words of wisdom to end on. So Halloween week at MMO means the Scaries, our annual horror movie award show, where one of us will think of awkward sound effects and and do them (laughs) continuously while the other speaks. No, I think uh, I think we, we, we enjoy this every year because we basically have an award season eligibility window that goes from Halloween night to Halloween night. So we got a lot to talk to talk about in terms of the best horror movies of the last year since last Halloween, since our last scaries. We have three uh, of those shows. Go back and listen to them. And then we do something pretty cool where we go into a, a genre, a subgenre, a horror subgenre, or several. And this year... <laughs> This year, we're pretty excited. We both agreed on cults, Michael. So we're Mm going to do not cult horror movies, but horror movies about cults. Mm -hmm. So that is a a cool twist. And then we're going to do something a little bit different. So I'll just tease that for now. But it might be a CV of a certain horror uh, movie director. And uh, I think we're we're pretty excited about ranking those. A horror master, one might say, as a... uh both a, a, a title and an Instagram handle. Yeah, we got to do it now. Yeah, we're in. We're both in on that. We're going to do John Carpenter's CD, best best of his movies. We have to do it. So I suck at teasing. So not a tease as much as an explanation. explanation Thorough that's what we're doing. examination. Explanation. Yes, that is on the horizon from us. One of our favorite shows to do every year. Uh, guys, as always, when reality sucks, you can come check out the end of October with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. See ya.